Good morning. It's good to have all of you here this morning. Let's just bow in prayer. God, I thank you that you are part of our lives. I ask that you would help. Help each of us today to look inside and see if it is well within us, if we are at peace with you. Life is short. We don't know when our time will come, but Lord, I pray that you would help each of us to know you truly in our lives. I ask your blessing on our time together this morning as the word is preached, and I pray that each one would be able to go forth from this place proclaiming the good news to those around us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Again, welcome to each one here. Welcome to those of you that may be online viewing and listening. I trust you'll have a blessing this morning. We have a few announcements that need to be given. There's a yellow slip in your pew. If you're visiting, grab that, maybe update. Anything that you, if you have a prayer request, please put it in the offering box back between the doors. Then uh, next Saturday, there is a request for some volunteers at Ruby's Pantry Distribution just down the road at the uh, Living Water Church on Saturday morning, probably about 7 o'clock. Be comfortable enough to just put a jacket on and go out there and help out. All right, marriage date challenge. Some of you have heard about that. What's that? Yeah, you can sit down. I can't see from here, so you can sit down. Good deal. I was getting these signals, and I wasn't sure. All right, marriage date challenge. And if you have a bulletin there, I'm not going to read this whole paragraph. It's right on the back side of your bulletin page there, a whole list of criteria to be in the challenge and what the prizes are but if you're married be intentional take your wife out on a date and we're putting pressure on you to do that by doing this challenge all right today actually starting next sunday i'll just go there next sunday is the first of the next 10 week discipleship class cycle there's a Book of Daniel meeting in the gym or gathering place, Colossians in the Soul Garage, Apologetics over again in the big Soul Garage room at the far end, and then How to Study the Bible here in the Fellowship Hall or else it'll be in the, in the auditorium or else in the Fellowship Hall. I'm not sure which way they'll go. And a possible midweek online meeting. If you're interested in that, talk to Pastor Tony, it says. Or Aaron. Then there's a save the date for a cedar service. March 28th in the gathering place. Sign-ups are next week at the welcome desk. And then there's a youth dinner on the 29th. All right, I got a couple more here. Faith Desk has a St. Patrick's Day recipe card uh, available for anybody interested in that. Now Andre is going to come and he's going to share... A little bit about what happened yesterday for the men's retreat. So I'll let him share. There was a lot of good things. Yeah. Never knew I could uh, have white knuckles on the way home. What I did. <laughs> it's funny. It's about me. You can laugh. 
Oh, what a, what a weekend. Um, our speaker, George Larson, actually a pastor, he's standing over, he's sitting over there. Would you stand? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. He challenged us this weekend. The, the, the theme for the entire year, or rally cry as men, um, is to be ambassadors for Christ. And that's what God has called us to do. And God has called us to be. Um, our verse uh, for the, the weekend, or for the next uh, year, First Corinthians, it comes out of 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor for the Lord is not in vain. That's our cry for this year as men. Nothing we do for the Lord is going to be wasted. George challenged us to, uh, to stand firm in our personal life, in society, and in our church. How much of you need men to stand firm for God in, in those three areas? Yeah, so we're grateful. Uh, one part of it that we haven't shown the video is uh, we did our annual 16 of us try to go down the hill at once in a tube. Uh, we had fun. It was good to laugh. It was good to cry. It was good to hear men pour their heart out. They're struggling. Ladies, keep praying for our men to be godly and lead their homes and lead their families. Well, good morning, everyone. And I want to say good morning to those who are watching online because you're still in bed currently right now. You might have show, you'll show up here in an hour, which is fine, and you'll get to see what our message was about. And I even got a call from Vagonskis. And they're like, we're not going to be able to make it today. I'm like, it's fine. Fine, we don't have to call. But I'm glad that they called. I know that with some of the roads out there, it's going to be hard for people to be here. It's, it's, it's different being a church. We're not just a local church. When I grew up as a little boy, I went to the Baptist church. We were a local church. Everyone in the neighborhood went to that church. We're a regional church. And because of that, we have people that, from every county that we touch coming to our church in days like today. They're unable to come, but we are glad. And also let you know, again, as Joel mentioned, next week we will be starting again our next series when we do the adult disciples group. So if you were in one group, now you're going to be rotating to a different group. Take a look at our bulletin. All those things are there. We're excited about that, and we're excited that you're here this morning. So today, what I want to do is we're going to kind of talk about this big contrast between two words. We're going to talk about something beautiful, and no daughters, I'm not going to talk about mom the whole time here, okay? We're going to talk about something beautiful, done for us. But also, we're going to talk about something not beautiful, something tragic, something ugly, something very ugh, disturbing, and that word is death. Death and beauty, what a contrast we're going to look at today. But before we begin, as we always, before we get to the word, let's pray to get our hearts ready, because today, let me just say this. Today, I hope I get this message. Today, I hope 
you get this. This is vital as we talk about beauty and death. So let's pray. Father God, we do come before you and we thank you for today. We thank you for the beauty of the snow. And again, I, I love snow, but I love that fresh white snow. It's just such a good reminder for a sinner like me to be reminded that because of your work, Jesus, on the cross, my sins are covered by the blood of the Lamb, and they are whiter than snow. I'm forgiven. What a great reminder around us of the beautiful work of Christ. Lord, do protect those who are unable to come today, and I know it's pretty treacherous out there. We are also thankful for those who plow our driveway, who, some of the men who are out this morning shoveling and salting for us so we don't get those slips, so we're able to get in here and be warm. But today I pray, as I pray every Sunday, that we would understand this passage we're about to get into, but God, today we ask that we would strip down our pride, get away from ourselves where we think, oh, I've got it. Help us understand the beauty of what you have done for us. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let's begin talking about death. This is something that most people don't like to talk about. It makes us uncomfortable. How many like talking about death? Okay, I know there's a few of you that do. Okay, death is one of those things we don't like to talk about. It's not something we engage in and sit around and have fun. Oh, let's talk about death. Let's have some fun. For us personally, thinking about us dying it's horrifying and something we want to avoid. We don't like thinking of the fact that someday we might die. And most of us are thinking, okay, you know, that will be, depending on how old I am, that will be years from now. Please look at me. Next week, we might be gathering here for your funeral. It's, that's uncomfortable. Yet I think it's very, very important that we think and talk about death. In fact, some people plan it out. Here's a picture of a friend of Stacy and I. We have a friend. Um, I don't know if you got the casket one. He, just this week, I was talking, we were hanging out. And he goes, look, I'm making my own casket. I'm like, wow. Anybody here is working on their own casket? Didn't think so. I'm, and I was like, I hope the bottom part's firm because we didn't watch. He's like, I'm, I'm working on that. But he's literally like, yep, I'm making my own casket. I was like, wow, okay. Or as you know, we, last week as we went through the Olivet Discourse, we, and we're very serious about this. Pastor Tony and I, we want to help you. After Easter sometime, we'll let you know when this is going to happen. After church, we'll get a bunch of pizzas and we'll hang around. I would love, Pastor Tony and I would love to sit and talk about spiritual advanced directives to help you plan so that way when the time comes, when the Lord calls you home, your family's not like, oh my, what do we do? In fact, take a look at the next picture. I hope I got these in order here. This is, I just did a funeral a couple weeks ago, and, oh no, sorry, can you go to the next one? My apologies. I think, yeah. This guy, Waylon, had everything written out 12 years before he passed away. 
Children, here's what I want done. This song, this work, here's what you do with the house, here's what you do stuff. This was great. Because I literally, I've been with families who there was a sudden death and they're like, we don't know what to do right now. So again, we, Pastor Tony and I, we want to help you in those spiritual advance directives. As a society, we spend billions to live a little longer so we don't die. We do all we can. I wrote this down. We kick the can down the road so we don't have to kick the bucket, right? We do all we can to stay alive. We don't want to think about death. I was recently at some training with the Department of Justice, and they gave stats for those who are police officers, those who are in law enforcement. Two to four and a half years is the average time after someone retires from law enforcement, that's when they die. I was recently at a retirement party, hanging out with some of the deputies and officers who were like, yeah, I don't want that stat to be real in my life. Two years, and then I die. I want to enjoy life. And we start talking about death, which is important to talk about. Anybody want to die soon? Uh, No, thank you. Although, if you know my favorite verse, Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ. Amen, right? But to die is gain. But we don't want to talk about death. The reality is life can be short. Death is real. Here's the deal. Just, uh, was it yesterday? No, uh, Friday I did a funeral. Here's the, here's the picture. Sorry about the, Stacy. sorry about the change of photos. Do the one of, of, I was out at Nora there. You might be the richest guy from this area. Who's the richest guy from this area? Anybody know? Foster Freeze, right? There's his headstone right there. And then we were there. There's someone there that didn't have much money at all. You might be the richest dude around or the poorest guy around. Guess what? When you die, you're all in the ground. In the end, your body will end up in the ground, whether you're the richest or the poorest. But where you spend eternity, that's, what's, that's what matters, right? As you reflect on your death, you begin to think about what really matters in life. The most important goal is to walk with God and know him. So talking about death is very important. Death is real. But it's not the end for the Christian, Amen. Death will bring us to our final home. It is only through Jesus that we can know God. And my prayer is that you would find forgiveness that is found in Christ and come to know him and walk with him. Repent of your sins. Because death will come. But for the Christian, it will bring us home. So death is hard to talk about. It's an awkward thing, especially when we think about our own death personally. Also, it's hard, death is hard, because we know the grief and sorrow of a loved one who's died. How many of you experienced grief and sorrow because one of your family member loved ones died, right? Oh, oh yeah. In fact, for three weeks in a row, I'm doing a funeral every week, and I see tears. I experience those tears also sometimes with those families. 
In fact, I was talking with one of our funeral directors in, in the area here, and we were, we were talking about, we were like, yeah, we cry at half the funerals, even though they're not our family. Is there any grief like that? Is there any sorrow as deep as the loss of a loved one? Death is hard. At times, our hearts are filled with sorrow and pain, and that's why we don't like talking about death. And some of us may want to get rid of grief in our hearts and move on. Okay, yep, they pass on, and just kind of, grief is done. But I often tell families this prior to the funeral, that their grief shows the depth of love they had for their loved one. So let's walk through this grief together. It's real. And I love using this verse. God is close to the brokenhearted. Psalm 34. But death is hard. It's, it's painful. Death brings both levels of anxiety. And I don't want to talk about it because thinking about our own death or the death of a loved one. But today we're going to look at a beautiful thing that came from the death of Christ. So let's turn in our Bibles to Mark chapter 14. Again, we are in the book of Mark. We're going through this series that I've titled With Christ in the School of Discipleship, where part of it was Messiahship, and then again, discipleship. Now it's back to Messiahship. We're learning about Christ. And as Mark has done, we've noticed this in the early part of Mark, and he's going to do it a few times here at the end. Mark likes to sandwich a story within other stories. In fact, we've got this main story sandwiched between two little stories, Mark chapter 14. Mark separates the stories. In fact, when I was working on this, I realized Mark separates the stories by time indicators. In fact, in my Bible, the first part is now. Then he tells what's happening. And then he says, while. And then we got this main story. And then he says, then. So we got these three time indicators to help us see the three parts of this, these stories together. Let's look at Mark chapter 14, verse 1. Now the Pharisees, oh sorry, now the Passover, I'm thinking about the Pharisees. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. Here again, we have a plot to kill Jesus. They've talked about it. They've kind of tried to find ways to, to give him questions and so he would trip up maybe. Then they, he could be arrested or whatever. But this scheming now gets to the point where no more talk. Now we're doing it. We're, we're getting this done. And they begin with a plan to kill. Horrible. Something horrible. But we also end with something horrible. Look at verse 10. So we get this first part, and look at the last part. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. We end with a plan to hand Jesus over 
to be taken away and death. The evil in the heart of Judas serves the divine purpose of the cross event. Let me say that again. The evil heart of Judas serves the divine purpose of the cross event. And these two bookends, you got this first little story and the second one there, these two bookends serve to highlight the beauty of sacrifice in a story of an unnamed woman who highlights the beautiful sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So let's get to the main story here. Verse 3. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard, not nord, nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. They rebuked her harshly. Bethany, take a look at this map here. So we are at Passion Week right now in the book of Mark. And if you see, Bethany's over here, and this is kind of the home base where Jesus and disciples are at during the last days before the cross. This is kind of where they hang out. They go in there. They got the Mount of Olives there. You remember that? So that was last week. They're sitting there looking at Jerusalem, all this. So this is where they're at. And we are told that this anointing takes place at the home of Simon the leper. Now, leprosy, if you recall, we've talked about leprosy in the first part of Mark there, where it's something where it's so bad that you stay away from people. In fact, there's certain areas the lepers could only be, they couldn't just be hanging out in the homes. Leprosy was a disease that required living apart from other people. So here, we have someone who was a former leper. That's why he's in a home, who had recovered from his illness. And I like how the NLT translation says this, Simon, a man who previously had leprosy. So he was known like, that's the dude that had leprosy, but he was healed. Simon the leper. Now there are other stories in which women anointed Jesus with oil. For instance, Luke chapter 7 talks about a similar event like this happening. Yet the main difference is the location. Luke talks about it happening with the Pharisees, and that was in Galilee. This one is in Bethany. We're going to talk more about the act that she does of this unnamed woman perform what she does as we look at the words of Jesus response to the disciples here in a moment. But first let's look at the complaint of the disciples. Here is this extravagant, very expensive gift and they begin to complain and whine saying it would have been better to sell the perfume and give the money to the poor. I like caring for the poor, if you know that. That's a part of what I love doing. But to understand this complaint, we must realize the value of the perfume she used and as indicated, its worth was more than a year's worth of work value. So we're talking, I'm just using some numbers here, like $60,000, dollars $70,000 worth. Why is this important? 
First, it would be very rare for a woman at that time to own something so valuable. How many of you have cash in your pocket right now? It doesn't seem like we have, you know, there's not many people who have cash anymore. We just use our card or whatever. How many of you have over $10,000 in your pocket right now? If so, let's go hang out. I love pizza. Okay, just kidding. Anybody have over 10? I'm not doing that so people, you know, jump on you or whatever. But we don't often carry that much money around. She's got this huge amount, this value, and it'd be very, very rare for a woman to even possess something like that, to own something. This perfume is a small fortune. Secondly, this flask, this jar, this container of perfume most likely was a family heirloom. Very precious to a family. How many of you have family heirlooms? I've got a few things like, in my mind, if, if my house was on fire, if my family's out, what are the main things I would grab, okay? It wouldn't be a cup of water to drink. Okay, maybe for safety or whatever, but if it was safe, I would make sure that these, like my photo albums, those are, you know, very valuable. You can't really replace those. This is a family heirloom. Had very sentimental value, and it's broken, why would you do something like that? And third, once it's poured out, it's gone. There goes all that great money we could have used. So the disciples criticize and rebuke her harshly. And the basis of their anger is on the waste of a valuable resource that could have been used for something else. With their lack of insight, Jesus corrects them. Look at verse 6. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done, here it is, a beautiful thing to me. The poor you always have with you. And you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, whenever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So Jesus tells them to quit giving her a hard time. Leave her alone. And then gives this great statement. She has done a beautiful thing to me. So here's the problem. The disciples, they're complaining, and they seem to be always complaining. Let me just tell you this right offhand. There is no spiritual gift of complaining, okay? All right? But some people seem to possess that I feel like, man, they just think their spiritual gift is complaining because they complain all the time about stuff. And some of the disciples, oh, they could have used it for this. What great value they could have done. <laughs> I, again, I'm, I'm excited what the Lord's doing in America right now through some of the, the prayer events that are happening in campuses and in this movie. Again, if you haven't seen this movie, please go out. Jesus Revolution, I love how some of the people in the church were complaining. These people are coming in. They're, they're messing up our carpet. And the pastor goes, yeah, let's save the carpet. Get the focus right. And that's what Jesus does. But what she did was beautiful. How is that? Let me look at four things I want to point out. Number one, come and meet Jesus. He is the most important focus we are to have. 
Again, three weeks ago, I think it was, I, before we got into this section of Mark, I did that long intro. That's right. Here's the deal. Many of you know these stories. Like, oh, I've heard this story before. Yep, he's going to the cross. Yep, oh, I'm forgiven. I'm saved. Well, stop. I want us to truly meet Jesus as we gather every Sunday. Amen? I don't want this just to be routine like, oh, yep, okay, yep, he died for my sins. Let's celebrate him. We need to meet Jesus. He is the most important focus. The disciples were concerned with the pressing needs at hand, the busyness of ministry that blinded them from the most important focus. And I've noticed that in my life. I can get so busy with ministry, so busy doing and doing, do I really sit down and just sit at the feet of Jesus to get my focus? And I tell you what, I've been doing that the last couple weeks, and it's been so refreshing. This past week, I, I was crazy busy. That means I needed more time gazing on the beauty of Christ. They're so concerned about ministry, whereas she is concerned with no one but Jesus. He's the most important focus the poor you'll always have, but for me, I won't be around long. He's saying, guess what? You can spend time with the poor. It's, it's, it's going to be there, but I'm leaving soon. I'm going to die soon. And Jesus put commitment of himself above love your neighbor. Like he said before, we got to love God and then love others, Right? Get your priorities in the right order. He's not neglecting the poor because the Bible frequently and often talks about caring for the poor. Jesus did it often. God must be number one. Come and meet Jesus. He is the most important focus. Number two, come and meet Jesus. He is the Messiah who must die. There's terrible ugliness coming up here. She gives something beautiful to prepare for something horrible, his death. She recognizes who Jesus is as the Messiah, and her actions prepare his body for the tomb, because these kind of perfumes were used for Bodies who were dead. Nowadays we have ways so you don't have to smell it. Back then they didn't, so they used perfumes. Now she may not have fully understood the implications of his upcoming death. Like the disciples, they don't get it. But she had some theological insights knowing what was about to happen to this man who is Jesus, who's also the Messiah, and I'm going to anoint him with oil. We see this as Jesus said that she anointed him in preparation for his burial. What she gives is a beautiful preparation for his upcoming death. What a contrast. And I find it interesting that the supposed insiders, the chief priest, the scribes, those who can write out the law very well, and even the disciples, 
They're the ones who reject what's going on. Mainly the chief priest and the teacher of the law. They were supposed to be the insiders. They reject the kingdom and its principles, and they become the outsiders. While the supposed outsiders, a leper, an unnamed woman, who's this person? They become insiders, showing a model of faith. Number three, come and meet Jesus. He is worthy of great sacrifice. A beautiful thing done for him. Sacrifice is not appealing at all. The word sacrifice is a tough word. How many of you like to sacrifice things? I I really don't. And often we don't like to give up things. But at times we must give up things. I thought through this, and these are just kind of three general broad categories of ways we give up and ways we sacrifice. One is, I, I first titled it life sacrifice, but life daily routine sacrifice. This is something we do often. Sometimes we sacrifice, it's necessary to do in this world. It's the demand of life. We sacrifice things. We have a job so we can get paid and care for our family. We sacrifice time. We do things. It's just the daily routine, the life sacrifice. How many of you had to shovel your driveway? Or you just busted through? I just busted through today, right? Okay, yeah. I sacrifice time making sure after the plow goes through, it seems like every week this winter, I sacrifice my time so I can get to places I want to. That's what I have to do. If I don't, that would be the biggest bump to go over, right? We sacrifice time shoveling so we can get to our places. We give up something and get a return. We want balance in this area. So this is what we do. So this is a general area, life sacrifice. Another area, area that we sacrifice is what I would call selfish sacrifice. At times we will sacrifice for our own personal benefits. I'll sacrifice, I'll do these things to get my own way. An individualistic pursuit to gain what I want. This is seen with Judas And the priest, they want to kill him, we're going to do these things. Judas, I want some money, and I want to get, oh, this is my way of doing it. Let me just say something. If you have a marriage based on this, you are in serious trouble. Marriage is not what's best for me. Life, routine sacrifice, or selfish sacrifice, or the most important and purest sacrifice, which I've titled love sacrifice. And I would say a great definition of love is sacrifice. A great definition, if you could boil the word love, how, how would you define love? One great word would be sacrifice. And I get this because God is love. And God shows us this great sacrifice we'll talk about here in a minute. Love gives and sacrifices for the benefit of another without return. That's what you want in your marriage, amen? But it starts with you, not your spouse. I hope my spouse is like that. 
if you have a marriage based on this, get ready for love. It's not what is best for me, but what's best for God and for Amber. That's what I want. And this is the kind of sacrifice that we have in this story. Generosity, devotion, faith are on the part of this woman who anoints the head of Jesus. In her act, Jesus sees that she has this understanding of sacrifice, love, and worship. And that's why he says, she has done something beautiful to me. It was her attitude and her action that was truly something beautiful. But some, unfortunately, respond in the wrong way. Because they don't see Jesus as he truly is. They see Jesus as a way to gain something or to get rid of something. Or they use him as a puppet. They want to use him as a political scheme. What a contrast of this unnamed woman and Judas. The selfish selfish act of Judas, his treachery and greed, and murderous hatred of the religious leaders contrasted with his great love. So here's what I wrote down. For her expression of love, she's willing to sacrifice for her faith, her money. Here is this beautiful family heirloom. Here is over a year's worth of wages. But for my faith, I'm going to demonstrate and give it to you. Or on the other hand, Judas... For his expression of selfishness, he was willing to sacrifice up his faith, right? For money. What a contrast. It is very right and it's very appropriate for us to give to the Lord in extravagant, in extraordinary ways when you truly meet Jesus and see him as he is. Give what is of great value to God. Give what is of great value to God. Again, God has blessed us with resources. They're not just for your benefit so you can have food in in your tummy and shelter when it gets cold, okay? But God has given you resources to bless others. Give what is of great value to God. And let me just tell you, let's just, I, could, I was thinking about giving all these different ways of how you can be giving and caring and just stuff like that, but let me just give you the most important thing. Right now, what you possess, the most valuable thing that you have is your life, right? We're talking about death and stuff. Ooh, we don't like talking about that. This is what God wants. He wants your life. Amen? He wants you to surrender and come to him and say, I'm yours, Lord. Take me as you will. And if that means I give all that I have and sell for the poor, fine. But if not, I'll use those resources in other ways. I got my talents, I just lay them at the altar. Give what is of great value to God. The most important thing is that you would surrender your life and say, God, I no longer live for my selfish ways. I no longer live for my own intentions. I surrender to you. Surrender your life to him. 
don't wait. Then lastly, come and meet Jesus. He is the worthy sacrifice. A beautiful thing done for us. Amen. We're talking about beautiful things here. She does a beautiful thing, but that's just a preparation, a great picture of what he's going to do. The story gets us ready for the meaning of the cross story. With this story sandwiched between these two horrific things that the, 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 you know, the leaders, the religious leaders want to do and what Judas wants to do, we see the beauty. Jesus shows us his love in the greatest display of sacrifice, his death. This anointing points to the soon and coming death of Christ. And this fulfillment of God's plan is seen in the beautiful thing done for us. This will be accomplished as we will see next week by the shedding, the pouring of his blood as a ransom for many to establish the new covenant. So we conclude with this great contrast of the terrible beauty of the death of Jesus. Oh, it's terrible, it's horrible. The prince of all is soon going to be crucified. It's terrible. But at the same time, beautiful. Let me end with this. You know, some of you have been Christians longer than I've been alive. Like the Gonsies who called, <laughs> we're not going to make it. I'm like, that's fine. My fear is that you just be going, yep, I know these stories. Yep, I got that down, Pastor Cody. Pause. Let's really meet Jesus in the beauty of who he is. Come meet the one who in this terrible beauty gave this great sacrifice. A great definition of love is sacrifice, and he models it, displays it for us. And to do that, surrender. Say, God, no longer will I live for myself, I will live for you. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning and we thank you for your great love. There are many defini definitions of love and I love 1 John chapter 4. God is love. That, that summarizes it right there. But you show that great love to us by the giving of your Son the beauty of the Messiah. This world marred and pierced so I could have life. A great summary of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And Lord, right now we, in the midst of our busyness, we just slow down 
And we confess at times we are very selfish with the things we sacrifice. We want to look good. We want to perform and, and say, God, look at how great I am in front of you. I'm, I'm even at church on a snow day. God, forgive us for our attitudes. We are often like the disciples, complaining, whining, not getting things the way we want. Help us keep our focus on you. You are number one in our lives. And we surrender to you. And I long for the day when we see you face to face. And as we talked about last week, we will watch, we will be ready for that day to come. And all creation screams out the beauty of Christ. And we will someday be there in glory. Lord, help us walk and follow you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stand and join us for our last song.